I shared with you a couple weeks ago that um, as we look at our theme for Easter this year of this changes everything, that we're going to have our staff record some of their just brief testimonies, stories about how Jesus has changed everything for them, kind of as an example to you. You'll see another video next week that includes uh, some more of our staff. It's just inspiring to me to be able to hear how God has gotten a hold of someone's heart and what's different in them because of the Jesus that they now know and the transformation that's taken place. We would love to be able on Easter weekend to showcase a video that represents multiple stories from within our Lebanon Christian Church family. Um, The only way it's gonna be possible is if you are willing to be courageous and bold and share with us your story of how Jesus has changed everything for you. If you would email us, simply stories at lebanonchristian.org and just give us a very brief, um, like just one way, not all the ways, but just one way Jesus has changed everything for you, uh, then Sean will get in contact with you and we would love to record that story. Uh, we would love for that to be multi-generational. And again, if, if no one does it, we just won't have it. And that's not the end of the world, but we would love to be able to showcase how Jesus has changed everything. Because we know that on Easter Sunday and Easter weekend, Uh, We will have a number of people with us who have not been uh, to worship at Lebanon Christian Church or been to worship maybe ever before, or they've not been in a long time. And as we speak about how Jesus changes everything about our past, about our present, and about our future, uh, what better way for them to see the faces of real people, people that they'll sit with uh, in this same room, people that they'll encounter at Kroger and Walmart and the restaurants, Uh, and see that Jesus has changed everything for them. And and how will that inspire transformation in their own life? So again, if you would help us share him with our world um, by emailing us stories at lebanonchristian.org. Speaking about Easter, um, it's coming. It's just a few weeks away. And so here's kind of our Easter schedule. Um, We actually have our um, night of prayer and fasting. Uh, Our day of prayer and fasting will occur the week of Easter. And so that second uh, Wednesday, um, isn't that right? I have that date wrong. It'll be the week after Easter. Sorry, ignore what I just said because my calendar in my head's not working this morning. Um, Easter plans, this is why I should stick to script. Friday, Good Friday, 7 o'clock in here, there will be a contemplative, reflective Good Friday worship experience. We'll share communion. There will be songs. There will be readings. Um, It'll be an intergenerational thing. On Saturday at 4.30, Sunday at 9 o'clock, Sunday at 10.30, those are all three our worship experiences for Easter. Uh, We invite you to come. Uh, Saturday is probably going to be really full. The last few years, our Saturday worship experience has been uh, the largest, and so anticipate a full room. If you don't have to come on Saturday, uh, we'd encourage you to come either on Sunday at 9 or 10.30, and typically the least attended service on Easter for us has been 10.30, and so if you have flexibility, then kind of make plans to come at 10.30 to leave space for those guests that haven't been or just kind of curious about faith for the first time at our nine o'clock on Sunday morning or again, our 4.30 on Saturday. Obviously, if you know 4.30 on Saturday is the only one that works for you or nine o'clock on Sunday is the only one that works for you, we want you here and we'll just enjoy worshiping with a number of people in this space. There's a lot of energy when the room is full. Well, that's gonna be Easter at LCC. Uh, It's coming up again in just a few weeks and our theme is this changes everything. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the word together. Father, just thank you. Um, Thank you for a morning where we can sing 
God, where we can pause and hold a piece of bread in our fingers and a cup of juice and be reminded of what you have done for us and what you're doing in us and what you want to do through us. I thank you for the chance just to sit in a room, and I know it's not an intimate space, but Father, we have a chance to open up your word and to discover together. And I just pray that you would do what only you can do, that you, through your power, through your spirit, through your words, uh, would penetrate all those places in our hearts and minds that need to be surrendered to you to draw us into your life to a more rich and complete experience of life in your kingdom. God, I ask this morning that you would birth courage, that you would bring encouragement, that you would draw people back, uh, that you would set us in a direction where we are following you and pursuing your purpose for our lives in this world. Uh, guide us, Father. Um, Holy Spirit, just uh, make yourself known in us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're continuing this look at purpose. Uh, last week we began this series, Pursue Your Purpose, by just simply looking at that question, what, what is your purpose? Uh, it's a question we all ask um, for a follower of Jesus, for someone who believes and trusts in God. Uh, that answer gets pretty simple. Uh, your purpose is to honor him. And as you honor him, to help other people come to honor him and see him and know him. Uh, we are called to be disciples who, as we live and we're made and we're formed, we make other disciples of him. That's our purpose. That's our mission in this world. But we know that all of us search often for purpose and meaning in things apart from the eternal and things apart from God. And kind of the bottom line last week was this, is that our quest for more, our quest for purpose, our quest for meaning, our quest for significance will never find enough in anything less than the eternal. You were made for eternity. Um, if you didn't have a chance to listen to that, if you weren't here, if you haven't gone back online and watched it, I'd encourage you, your purpose is wrapped up in the eternal God who formed you and made you and knows you and sets you on a path for his glory and his honor in this world and to help other people. That's your purpose. I want to turn to a second question today. How? How do we pursue God's purpose for our lives? How do you pursue your purpose in the midst of difficulty? How do you pursue God's best for you? How do you pursue the eternal when life can be so incredibly hard sometimes? Uh, we're gonna talk about some of life's difficulties as we move throughout the morning. And let's just get this on the table. For every single person in this room, life is hard. Every single person in this room experiences difficulties. Now, are those difficulties varied? Yes. Are those difficulties nuanced? Yes. But here's what I would strongly encourage you to resist. Resist the urge as we think about life's difficulties and hardships to get kind of caught in this comparison trap. You've been there, I've been there. We share about the difficulties in our life and the person we're sharing about our difficulties with somehow seems to think that they need to let us know how much more difficult their life is than our, our, our life. 
And so we get caught up so often as people we want to compare. Yeah, this is why my life is worse than your life. Your difficulties are nothing like mine. That doesn't get us anywhere except in a vacuum of compassion, right? So let's just, just, just deal with difficulties. We all experience them. Now, does that mean that every difficulty has the same magnitude, the same significance? No, no, no one's saying that. We're just saying that the difficulties you experience are probably the worst difficulties right now in your world. Someone else's difficulties, you're not living them. You don't know them. You don't, you don't identify with them. We're all experiencing difficulties. We're all experiencing hardships in some way. How do you continue to pursue God's purpose for your life when life is hard? How do you pursue the eternal? How do you pursue him? How do you pursue what he wants in life when, when your life seems to be falling apart? And for that, I want us to hang out in Acts chapter 18. We're gonna be in the first 11 verses. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in Acts 17 for two weeks. Now we're moving into Acts 18. And once again, Paul provides for us uh, an incredible example of what it looks like to pursue our purpose and, and specifically to pursue our purpose uh, in, in difficulty. Uh, we're we're going to be in the first 11 verses. We're going to move through them kind of slow here at the very beginning and then circle back to see what we learn. Because what you'll see in Acts 18 verses 1 through 11 is the Apostle Paul, who is no stranger to difficulty, continue to pursue God's purpose for his life, even when life continues to be hard. And in fact, he'll hit a pretty dark moment in these verses, and yet he continues on. And it's in that moment where we can find our own encouragement when life is hard for us, how we can pursue our purpose. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 18, uh, 1 through 11. Verse 1 begins, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. After this, after what? Well, after what happened in Athens, Paul has been in the Areopagus. Um, prior to this, he reasoned with philosophers, the who's who, the influencers. Some of them responded, some of them were curious, and some of them were not. Some of them mocked him, and some of them sneered him. It's after that that Paul moves to Corinth. There, verses two through four, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. There's nothing that feels really out of sorts here. We'll come back to Priscilla and Aquila towards the end. Um, Paul's continuing to do what Paul has done. Paul's purpose to proclaim Jesus uh, in the nations, to honor God with his life. He's continuing to do it. What he's done in Philippi before this, Thessalonica before this, Berea before this, Athens before this. Paul goes to the synagogue and he shares with people who Jesus is. He shares with Greeks. He shares with anyone who will listen who Jesus is. Verse five, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, does this mean that Paul now has no time for the Gentiles, no time for the Greeks? No. But because help has arrived, Paul can concentrate his time on the Jewish people. 
That's Paul's ancestry. It's where Paul came from. So Paul's just going to kind of double down and concentrate and focus his efforts on the Jewish people in Corinth, hoping that they will see that Jesus is the Messiah and their lives will be transformed. But look at their response, very similar to what's happened in Thessalonica and Berea. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul meets resistance again. Again, we've seen this in previous cities on previous missionary journeys. Uh, the very people who you would think would be most open to receiving Jesus and following him, they've been anticipating the Messiah, are, are the most resistant. And there's some pretty strong words here. It says that they opposed Paul. Like, it is clear, they're standing against him and his message. But there's another word, they became abusive. That's actually a word in the original language that can be translated as blasphemed. Uh, that's an it's a, it's a old Bible word that maybe you've heard before. You think about maybe Jesus saying that we shouldn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Like, this is a strong insult to who Paul is and what Paul is doing. And what's Paul's response? All right, guys, it's on you now. Judgment is on you. Like, I, I'm done focusing on you. I'm moving on to the Gentiles. Again, does this mean that Paul will not have a conversation with another Jew ever again? No, just like he wasn't gonna turn his back on all the Gentiles, but his concentration now is not the Jews. You won't find him probably in the synagogue a whole lot. His goal is to reach the Gentiles because they've been so resistant to him. Now in future cities, future journeys, Ephesus and beyond, he'll go back and he'll visit with Jews again. But in this moment in Corinth, hey, you've refused, you've resisted, I'm moving on. He continues to pursue his purpose even when life is hard. And look what happens in verse seven. And then Paul left the synagogue. He did it. He, he, he left. He went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. It tells us that Crispus, the synagogue leader, his entire household believed in the Lord as Paul redirects his attention and continues to pursue his purpose. It says many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So again, we see Paul doing Paul. Paul's going, he's continuing, he's pursuing God's purpose. It seems like things are going so incredible for, incredible for Paul. But we have verses nine and 10 that show us that all is not perfect in Paul's world. We see that difficulties are beginning to catch up with Paul. There's a cumulative toll that's being felt from this city after city and being refused and resisted and opposed and insulted. Look at verses nine and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Why would the Lord need to come to Paul in a vision and tell him, don't be afraid, unless the Lord knew that Paul was growing weary? that Paul was discouraged, that maybe doubts were beginning to build in, in Paul's life. Think about what's happened in previous cities. He's in Philippi. Uh, after being arrested and imprisoned, uh, they ask him to leave. 
He goes to Thessalonica, uh, chapter 17 of Acts. He's there just a brief period, has to leave sooner than he wants to. He even tells us in his first letter to the Thessalonians, I had to leave you before I was ready. He's chased out of town. Goes to Berea, seems to be having a more favorable response in the second half of, uh, of Acts, what, 17? I guess it's still the beginning of Acts 17, and he's chased out again by a mob. He ends up in Athens. Some accept, some refuse, and he moves on to Corinth. Why would the Lord, why would Jesus himself need to once again visit Paul in a vision and say, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Unless Paul himself is discouraged. Unless Paul himself is wondering, is it just time to go ahead and leave Corinth and move on? Look what he says next in verse 10. Jesus reassures him, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So the Lord visits Paul in a dream, in a vision, and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep with it. Keep speaking. I'm with you. And because of that encouragement, Paul continues on to the point that he's there for 18 months. And many people come to know Jesus in the city of Corinth. In fact, because of this encouragement, Paul perseveres and he pursues that purpose. And he'll write his letters to the Thessalonian church in his time in Corinth. Paul pursues his purpose even in difficulty. And, and these verses help show us how. Let's just dial into Paul's circumstances for a moment uh, before we go too far. When you think of about the last six to nine months in Paul's life, we go back to his time in Philippi. A falsely accused, arrested, flogged, beaten, hung in shackles, Wounds are still seeping. They've not scabbed over yet. An earthquake happens. They ask him to leave the city of Philippi. He ends up in Thessalonica. People seem to be responding. And suddenly, the Jewish leaders who are resistant raise up a, a mob among kind of the, uh, the, the, the riffraff or the uh, criminals or the difficult people in Thessalonica. They chase Paul and the others out of town. They go to Berea. Uh, once again, the same thing happens there after a response. He ends up in Athens, some accept, some reject. And now he's in Corinth, where once again, people are opposing him, insulting him, accusations against him. Like, I don't know about you, but that's a rough six to nine months. It's easy to see why Paul might be weary well, while Paul might be second-guessing, like, is, do I, am I going to keep doing this? Am I going to continue to pursue his purpose for my life? And, and add to that, not just the opposition that seems to be coming against him that he can see, but what about the antagonistic culture of Corinth? You can research ancient Corinth, and there's a reason why people have kind of spoken about it like a, an ancient Las Vegas. It was kind of known as the sin city of its day. Every night in Corinth, thousands of prostitutes would descend upon the city from uh, the temple, and, and they would offer their services to whoever would pay. 
as an act of worship uh, to pagan gods. Like, like what, what kind of climate is that to try to declare the eternal purposes of God in? We know that Paul's weary. Look at, look at what he writes um, in his first letter back to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul says, I came to you, weakness, fear, and trembling. And yet we see in this passage, Paul continues, even though life is difficult. Before we look um, at how he did that, I just want you to think about the difficulties in your own life for a moment. What are your difficulties? Maybe it's physical. Are the difficulties you face health problems, health issues, an injury that won't go away? Are the difficulties that you face in your relationships with people in your home, maybe, with people at work? Is there drama in a relationship with a sibling, with a child, with a parent? with a classmate, with a coworker, with a neighbor? Is there drama in, in, in relationships even within this church community, our family of God? Like where are the difficulties in your life? Are they in the workplace? Are they at school? Our students are nearing the midpoint of their semester and moving towards the end. Like are there assignments, are there projects? Are there possible cuts at work? Like, what are the difficulties that you're facing? Is there grief? Have you experienced recent death in your family, in your household, among your friends? Like, where are your difficulties? Is it financial? Like, are you facing bills? Is the rate, are, the rate of inflation, is, is that just like pushing you down? Do you find yourself wondering how you're gonna pay the next credit card statement or, or how you're gonna next, get the next grocery bill paid for? Like, like, where are the difficulties for you? Are they false accusations? Are they insults? What are your difficulties? How can you continue to pursue the eternal purposes of God for you and in you and through you as you face those difficulties? And that's where I want you to look to Paul and see how Paul was able to continue. And the first thing that we see for Paul, and, and this is the most important, is that Paul found encouragement to pursue God's purpose for his life in difficulty because of God's presence. Paul was encouraged by the presence of God. Go back to those words in verses nine and 10. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, Jesus says, for I am with you. And that's not just a promise that he will be with him in the future. We'll get to the promises in a moment. This is the reality of his presence. Can you imagine being Paul and being weary in this moment, being overwhelmed in this moment, and the Lord himself appears to you in a vision? Hey, Paul, don't, don't be afraid. I am with you. Like, keep on speaking. Keep on doing it. Can you imagine how that encouragement propelled Paul to keep pursuing God's purposes for him? 
the, the reality that God himself was speaking to them, that God took the time to say, I, I want you to see me in a vision, Paul, because I know life is hard. And, and, and the reality of his presence encourages them to keep pursuing his purpose. I call this the refrain of resilience. Jesus says to Paul, I am with you. A refrain in poem or song is a repeated part that comes again and again. It's there for emphasis, to remind us, to call us back. I call this the refrain of resilience because this promise um, this reality that I am with you is found all throughout God's story and God's history of working with humankind. Just go back to the picture we have in Genesis. God is with his people in the garden. Think about uh, Moses uh, in the desert, burning bush, working for his father-in-law, the burning bush, God speaks to him and says, I want you to go and deliver my people. Well, I can't do it. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. Well, guess what, Moses? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to teach you what to say. Or what about when, when Joshua is going to take over for Moses and um, he's kind of probably intimidated by that. And God tells him in Joshua chapter one, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. Or what about the prophet Elijah who is a part of this incredible display on Mount Carmel where God proves that he's the one true God and uh, as rain begins to come, he races down the mountain and yet when he gets wind that the evil queen Jezebel is after him, he kind of shelters out in the, in the desert and he's isolated and he's uh, in despair and yet God allows this kind of broom tree to grow up and provide him some shelter and speaks to him and draws him to a cave, and in the cave, God whispers to him, he's with him. What about Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, God's presence with them? What about those three guys that stand up for God's purposes in their lives and through their lives who get thrown into a fiery furnace in Daniel, and who is with them, protecting them in that moment? But the God of the universe. It's the refrain of resilience, or if you prefer different alliteration, the anthem of adversity, that God is with us. And what about Jesus? Think about that name we often bring up at Christmas. Emmanuel, which means what? Come on, what does it mean? God with us. It's the refrain of resilience that God is with us. We can keep pursuing his purpose in this world because he is with us. He is present. Just let that sink in. Feel it in your bones for a moment that the creator of the universe does not abandon us as we trust him and follow him. He is with you. He's in you. When Jesus says to his disciples, listen, in a little while, I'm not gonna be here anymore, but I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna send a helper, he's gonna send a comforter, he's gonna send an advocate, he's gonna send his spirit to be in you. God with us, God with you. 
When, 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 when Jesus speaks to Paul, he's reminding him, you can keep pursuing my purpose for you because I am with you. The encouragement of God's presence enables us to pursue his purpose, even in difficulty. You can continue to pursue God's purposes because he is with you. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what difficulties you're going through. I don't know what storm you have been in. But will you remember that he is with you? It's not just his presence, though, that gives us encouragement. It is his promise. There are really two promises for Paul in verse 10. There's the promise of God's continuing presence, which I'll revisit in a moment. There's also a more temporary promise specifically for Paul in here. He says to him, no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Paul, you don't have to flee because guess what? Things aren't gonna happen here like they have in previous cities. Now, that's a, that's a promise for Paul. I would venture to say there are probably still temporary promises that God makes to each of us, even if he doesn't speak audibly. I don't know what those are for you. But there is an eternal promise here. Not just, I'm with you now, but I am going to continue to be with you. And that's important because it's not just that God is with you in this moment, but he's with you in the moments to come. God's presence is not a one and done. God's presence is not Purdue in the NCAA tournament. Was that too soon? All right. God's presence continues. He can, we can count on it. So it's not just that God is with you and what you're going through now. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if his spirit lives inside of you, because you're a disciple of Jesus, but it's in what is to come, the things that you don't know about. Isn't that some of the trepidation we feel sometimes? We know we're going through a storm. We're like, I don't know what's next, but we can know who's going to be there when the what's next comes. He is with you. That's the promise he makes. And the promise that God will be with you means that you can continue to pursue him even when life is difficult. But it's not just God's presence that brings encouragement and God's promise that brings encouragement. There's something else that we see here and that's God's people bring encouragement to pursue his purpose even in difficulty. I told you we'd come back to Priscilla and Aquila. Verses two and three, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Suetonius, Orosius, uh, two Jewish, Jewish, sorry, two Roman historians who write at different periods in Rome's early history, and they both reference uh, an edict of Claudius in AD 49, where he said that Jews had to leave Rome and parts of Italy um, because of a debate within the ranks of the Jews. And that debate centered around someone named Christos. The Jews long in the history of the Roman Empire, they had made accommodations for them. There are other um, edicts in history, one from like 118 BC, another one from 19 AD under Tiberius, where during seasons, the, Ro the, the Jews were expelled from Roman territories. But for the most part, uh, we find more writings about how Rome tried to accommodate the Jews because of their ancient religion. 
but it became apparent to Claudius when there were these debates that were causing trouble and friction among Jews and Jews that believed in Christ that something had to be done, and so they were expelled. And that expulsion leads to Priscilla and Aquila being in Corinth. And imagine the encouragement that comes to Priscilla and Aquila who've been kicked out of their town when they meet another Jewish Christian named Paul and they're able to work together. We, we know from Paul's, letter to the, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Romans, that Priscilla and Aquila figure pretty prominently in the work of Paul. They're co-laborers, they're partners, a church meets in their home. Imagine the encouragement that comes when both of you are going through difficulty and yet you're encouraging one another to keep pursuing Jesus together. Then Silas and Timothy, they returned from Macedonia. Imagine the jumpstart that gives to Paul in the midst of the journey. You and I can never underestimate the power of God's people to encourage us to pursue his purposes even in difficulty. Paul needed it. You need it. I need it. We were never meant to journey in this life alone. Just go back to our Pursue One Another series. Like, we weren't meant to do this alone. We need other people. And guess what? Intimacy and being known and being encouraged in powerful ways is not gonna happen in large rooms like this. Large gatherings like this are great for celebrating, they're great for energy, but you will never be known intimately. No one will be able to encourage you more specifically in an environment like this. We need to be meeting with other followers of Jesus in more intimate circles. Do you have that circle of people? Do you have that group of people that you can gather with who are journeying with Jesus just like you, who you can support one another, help one another, come alongside one another, encourage one another? If you don't, you are missing out. In all of our environments, Children down the hall, they will meet this morning in small groups at some point during their worship experience together so they can be known and encouraged and valued. Our student ministry for our middle school and high school students, they will gather as soon as this worship experience is over upstairs and they will be in groups that can be known and valued and encouraged and encourage one another. Our preschool students, are, they, they get walked from one part of the building to another so they can gather in a smaller groups to be known and valued and encouraged. And for adults, we offer that in something called life groups, where you can journey with other people. We have three C's for our life groups, Christ-likeness, care, and compassion, so that you can gather with other people and focus on Jesus, how he wants to grow you and change you and transform you how you can care for one another. In a church our size, it's impossible for a few paid staff and some leaders to provide the care that you need. We need one another in our lives. Compassion, so you can go out and bring his compassion to a world in need. If you're not involved in a life group, I strongly encourage you that your faith will not continue to grow unless you're connected to a more intimate group of people. If you would like to be more involved, I think I have a picture up here. You go to our website, click on connect, adults, and you can actually find this life groups place, and there's a little form you can fill out. Let us know um, how you would like to be involved. If you want to think about leading one, if you just want to participate in one, I think there's even a place when you get to the form about availability, and let us come alongside you and help you connect with a group of people. 
Because you need the encouragement, but other people need your encouragement. How are you going to pursue God's purpose for your life in difficulty? Well, God's presence, God's promises, and God's people. I would encourage you that all of us have the power to encourage. We all do. Sometimes we get to a place in life where life is hard and we feel beat down and we kind of turn into this more receiving mode where we just want other people to encourage us. Um, But I would submit to you, I've experienced in my own life that oftentimes the most powerful encouragement comes when we are even weak. Every one of us today can find one person to speak, to write, to text, an encouraging word to and probably more. Will we encourage so that other people can pursue God's purpose even in the midst of difficulty? So back to the original question, how do you pursue his purpose for your life even in the midst of difficulty? It'll be because you're encouraged by his presence, his promises, and his people. I'm just kind of give a visual to take home with you on this. Um, I am not an avid mountain biker. I would like to learn how to mountain bike. I, I bought a bike. I have a helmet. Um, I don't have a truck to haul my bike. And so I'm working with some people to maybe take, take me with them when they go. But it doesn't stop me from investigating a little bit about mountain biking. I know it's starting to take off in our country. Our community is even building a mountain bike course on the edge of town. And so I want to know how to do it, but I want to be somewhat safe the first time I do it. I really don't want to, you know, run my head into a tree and then have to deal with all of that. And so uh, I've, been, I've been doing some reading. I've been watching some tutorials And one of the things that's consistent in all the reading, all the tutorials, is that if you're going to be successful on a mountain bike course on a trail, you can't look at just what's right in front of you. You have to look through the turn where you want to go. You have to look beyond the obstacle where you want to go. If you focus only on the obstacle, they say you will hit it every time. Like if you're riding and the trail is narrow and you see a tree and you're going to focus on that tree, guess what? Your bike is going to move towards that tree and you're going to end up concussed, right? You need to look beyond the obstacle. Be aware of it, but look beyond it. And the things we've talked about this morning help us on the trail of life when we encounter difficulties. You're aware, like you you can't change the fact that you're living paycheck to paycheck. You're you're aware that, that life is hard for you. You feel the back pain. You know the biopsy results. You know the strain in the relationship. You are aware, but will you focus on that or will you look beyond it? Encouraged by his presence, his promises, and his people. If we will look beyond, you will find that you're able to be carried through. So how do you look beyond? How can you become a person who recognizes his presence with you all the time? Can we just be honest? We just gotta slow down. We live life at such a pace that we don't even create space to experience his presence. We just need the reminder of those words of the psalmist, be still, be still. We we wanna know that he is God, don't we? We want the rest of the psalm, but do we wanna stop and be still? To sit, to create margin in our schedules, to say no to good things so we can say yes to the best thing. We won't experience his presence if we never create space to experience it. I was driving a friend's truck. This is probably two or three weeks ago, and I pulled into the church. I was just borrowing it for a short time, and I happened to have it overnight Saturday into Sunday, and so I drove it here on Sunday morning, and I put my 
backpack in the back seat like I normally do uh, in, in our car. And uh, I pulled up, I turned the truck off, and the next thing I know, my seat vibrates. I'm like, this is a little odd. And uh, I look at the screen and it says, please check the back seat. I was like, what? And it was reminding me my backpack was there, but it really wasn't there to remind me of my backpack, was it? It's because we know in our world, our fast-paced world, that parents, good parents, have forgotten children in their car. They've forgotten that their child is with them because of the pace. And I can't help but think that we need that reminder that, that God is with us. And our spiritual disciplines and our habits of rest, Sabbath, solitude, silence, being in his word, being in prayer are the way of kind of shaking us to remind us that he is with us. Will you slow? Will you pause? Will you spend time with him to remember he's with you so you get the encouragement to pursue your purpose? How do you see through the turn and past the obstacle to, uh, to be encouraged by his promises? Well, you're probably not gonna be encouraged by his promises unless you know his promises. So are you spending time in his word to discover his promises? Are you listening to his word? Are you reading his word? Are you listening to music that captures his promises in its words? Are you storing it in your heart? Parents that know the promises, are you giving those promises to your children? Are we more eager to fill out NCAA brackets with our children than we are to speak to them the promises of God? I'm not saying you shouldn't do a bracket with your kids. That can be a lot of fun. Let's not choose that at the expense of sharing with them his promises. Are you making space to be with people, to be known by people? Are you scheduling the coffee? Are you going on the hike? Are you prioritizing the group experience? Are you making space to be with people so that you can be encouraged and you can encourage them? If you're going to pursue your purpose in a difficult world, it comes by acknowledging his presence, his promises, and being encouraged by his people. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this powerful just witness from Paul's life. God, as we seek to pursue you and your best in this world, convict us and challenge us and lead us and strengthen us. To acknowledge your presence. To discover your promises and hold tight to them. To be people who encourage and are encouraged in smaller circles. And Father, I ask that for the one that is here that doesn't yet know your purpose for their life, that they would be compelled through your spirit this morning to reach out, to ask questions about how they can know you and discover you, that they might have you in the midst of their storms. God, we thank you. We love you. We need you. Amen.